May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We begin a new series tonight on household rules, God's rules, God's code for his family. And this will be a mini series that focuses on Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to 21. And we'll look at a portion of that text this evening, verses 11 through 17, if you'd like to find that in the Bible or just read along in the worship order this evening. One of the tasks that a pastor is called to do is to teach people how they ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15. It has been my experience as a minister that some people appreciate this very much, while other people do not appreciate it as much. Some people want to be taught how to live in God's family, and then other people just want to do whatever they feel like doing whenever they feel like doing it. And so they don't want to be told how they ought to behave. Well, depending on what kind of person you are, you are either going to love this series or you're going to hate it because we are going to see the household rules that God lays down for the family of God in this section of Paul's letter. But either way, whether you love it or hate it, I must fulfill my duties and discharge the duties of my ministry, which include uh, telling you these things, and I must do so without apology. And so here we go. That's the intro to this series. Now, the last two series that I've preached required me to speak with the voice of a prophet. And... uh, And that can be kind of hard and and crazy at times. But this series will require me to speak more with the voice of a pastor. And so I hope that you will notice a difference both in the style and the substance of the teaching and preaching. As the uh, book of Colossians is very different than Jonah and Nahum, both in its texture and tone. And so our focus for the next few weeks will be on household rules in Colossians 3, 11 to 21. And today we're going to look at one rule that might not be so obvious right away, but it is. You'll see that it's very clear. And this has to do with the family dress code. This has to do with the family dress code. How God the Father expects us to dress as members of His family. Well, if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word from Colossians 3, 11 to 17. And I pray that you will open your hearts and minds and give full attention to the Holy Word of God. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add His blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of His word in all the church says. You may be seated. Well, as you know, every family, including yours, has its own distinct culture, its own distinct style. If we were to go family by family throughout our congregation, we could probably detect that each family has things that are alike. People look alike. They sort of dress alike. They like the same sort of color schemes. Those are things that families do. God's family is no different, and that's what Paul is getting at in this household code. I want us to look at how the family of God is expected to be alike and not expected to be different. We do have our differences, and there's much diversity in the family of God, but I want you to see that God the Father expects us to wear the same thing, to wear the same garments, to be clothed in the same way, and I want you to see why it matters. According to Psychology Today, a study published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology coined the phrase embodied cognition. Embodied cognition. This was to describe the idea that we think not just with our brains, but also with our bodies. Researchers found that clothes influence how we view and interact with the world. So here's two examples. When they gave participants in the study white coats and told participants those coats belong to doctors, the participants' ability to pay attention increased. When participants were told that the coats belonged to painters, their ability to pay attention flatlined. And here's what they concluded through various studies like that. That clothes can and do influence a person's psychological processes. Dressing casually or carelessly could cause you and people around you to feel less focused and less alert, less engaged and less present. The article goes on to say that clothes also dictate the role the people wearing them take on. One study found that people's perception of their own responsibility, their own competence, honesty, reliability, and trustworthiness, among other qualities, was heightened when they took a little more care in the clothing they put on. I think there was a pop song back in the day that talks about how sometimes clothes do not make the man. Maybe clothes do make the man. I can't remember how it goes. But the point is, people wrestle with this idea Uh, Does it matter what you wear? Well, God, the Father, who is the head of our household, believes that what what we wear matters very much. It has a way of shaping our identity, shaping our perception of who we are. Now, I'm not talking about the clothes you're wearing and where you purchase them and the style of clothing. That's irrelevant for our discussion here. This was simply an illustration to say that what you wear matters, and it certainly matters as members of God's household. Every member of God's household is required by God to dress a certain way. And the reason God has given us a dress code is for our good, but also for His glory. 
Think about where we came from. Paul mentions here that there are a range of people, uh, Jews and Gentiles and Scythians and free and slaves and all of that stuff. But he says, none of that matters in God's household. What matters is Christ. Christ is all and is in all. And so there's no point in trying to play the ethnic card or appeal to your social status or cling to your personal style or to wave your cultural flag. Paul's point is that it doesn't matter if you're a geek or a jock, a princess, a basket case, a hipster, or a prep, a loner. None of that matters. You must wear whoever and whatever the Father wants you to wear. It's His family, and these are His rules. Recently, we've seen in the news how when stars, Hollywood stars, show up at events, they walk a red carpet, and people stick a mic in their face, and they ask the same question every time. Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? I saw that there was some pushback against that this year at recent events. They want to know who designed your outfit and your ensemble. And so these stars become walking billboards and ads for the designer. Now we could sit here and say, those are silly questions and silly events and why does it matter for us? But I want you to consider that this is also a question that the Father is asking each and every one of you. Who are you wearing? Who do you represent? Who is your designer? Who are you wearing? It's a question we must also ask each other. If we cannot answer the Lord Jesus Christ, then we might as well be wearing fig leaves or filthy rags, or nothing at all. So here in God's family, Christ is all and in all, and He is what makes the members of God's family who they are. How did all of these people, how did all of us come together into one family? With all of our diverse background and experience, how did we get here? Well, we got here because in the Father's love, He sends a Son, His Son, into the world to lay down his life for people that he has elected to save. And then he sends the Holy Spirit out to gather them and bring them into his family. And all of that is summarized in the word adoption and in the word redemption. All of that comes together in God's family. We're told in so many ways at the outset of this this text to put on Christ from the inside out. Dress yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ from the inside out. So the Father's sovereignty in election doesn't free us from responsibility. It actually establishes our responsibility and shows up in our actions. As God's chosen ones, he says, holy and beloved, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dress like a member of God's family from the inside out. And I want you to keep in mind that these household rules are the same for each and every one of us, from the oldest down to the youngest. We must put on Christ, and we must put on His virtues one layer at a time. I've been told by various people and heard in various places that it's actually better to layer your clothing. Some of you know more about these kinds of things than I do. But they say it's better to layer your clothing, layer your garments. There's a sense of style that goes with that, but also a sense of practicality. What I want you to consider here is that the Spirit of Christ is teaching us how to clothe ourselves in Christ, beginning with our bowels, beginning at the depth, beginning in the guts of who we are. 
put on compassionate hearts. And the Greek word for this has to do with the bowels of mercy. So Paul is talking about clothe yourself with Christ from the inside out. That's one layer. Then you put on another layer of clothing, kindness, which has to do with a general friendliness, believe it or not. A general friendliness. And then humility, which is low-minded, not dumbed down, but low-minded. Be humble. No matter how much you know, no matter how much you understand, no matter how high and mighty you might be, either in reality or in your imagination, you're to be low-minded. Keep it on the low. And then meekness, which has to do with power under control. Uh, a well-worn illustration is, has to do with the way horses are broken. You know, they have this strength and glory about them. But in order for them to be useful to man, they must, that strength and glory must be harnessed and bridled. And when that happens, that horse is considered to be meek. There's a kind of brokenness of his will on one hand, but harnessed and bridled on the other hand. And we are to be like that, meek before the Lord, meek before one another. And then patience, which for those of you who are looking at languages, original language out there, see that it means long suffering, like big time suffering, like putting up with a lot of stuff here, right? One commentator says, we're here for the long haul and we measure time in terms of eternity. So really we have all the time in the world to be patient with each other. Those of you who pray for patience and then wonder why you're immediately afflicted with all kinds of trials and temptations and burdens should know that you've actually gotten what you've asked for in that. You want patience, you want to suffer long, the Lord will be happy to oblige, but patience. And then tolerance. Some of your translations say, bear with one another, put up with one another. Tolerance here does not mean that you just accept anything and everything about other people, but it means that you, you're able to bear up under it. You're not so ticky-tacky and you can, you, know, you can put up with some stuff. So maybe a better way to say it is put up with one another, right? Put up with one another. I read that in one of the commentaries. But now I want you to look at that phrase one another and see how important it is. One another reminds us that we are in community and in keeping with our analogy here, we are in family with one another, with one another as adopted siblings into this family. We came in the same way in Christ and Christ is in us. And now we've got to put up with one another. But why? Because like all families, sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Like all families, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way and we frustrate and we irritate one another. And if you're not doing that, then you're not living close enough together, right? Families need to be close enough to bump into each other and crack a dish every once in a while. But that's what Paul is getting at. We're in this household and we're all trying to get dressed and there's cramped spaces. We're trying to put on Christ and we're bumping into each other and we're offending and things aren't always going well. But we are members of the same family by God's electing grace. We're one in Christ, but we're very different from each other. We're not the same yet. We're, uh, Christ is in all of us, and we're trying to put on Christ, but we're not, we're not all there yet. We're still working on it. So what are we to do if in our family, sometimes we have a complaint against each other. Sometimes we have uh, an offense has, has occurred. There's some kind of issue. What do we do? Well, in our flesh, here's what we want to do. Our flesh says we need to get even. We need to go tell everyone what happened. We need to carry a grudge. We need to just go away. 
We'll go away. We'll go find another family and maybe get adopted into that family. But notice that Paul does not give us any of those options. He gives us one option when there is a complaint against another. So if you personally have a complaint against another person, this is your one option. Your one option in God's household, His rule is to show mercy, to show grace. Forgive. The word forgive here means show grace. Show grace to each other. Why would we do that? Well, the rationale is you show grace to one another because the Lord has shown grace to you. So you are to pattern your relationships with each other after your relationship with Christ. He showed you grace. He shows you grace. Even now, how much more should you pass it on and show grace to others? And if you feel like someone offended you greater than you offended the Lord, we need to talk later, okay? You might misunderstand the nature of sin and the weight of sin. But what I want you to see here is if you take a moment and just take a little inventory on your own life, think of all your own failings, your own weaknesses, trespasses, your own sins. And you have this expectation that God will show you grace, this hope, this desire that God will show you mercy. And He does. He promises that He will. He does it for the sake of Christ in you, the hope of glory. How much more should we turn and show grace to each other? So you've been forgiven much. Why in the world would you withhold forgiveness for so little? As I said to someone uh, earlier today, life is too short to hold a grudge. Life is too short to get even. It's just too short for that. So if the Lord has shown you grace and you know that He has, then who are you to stick it to someone else, right? In God's family, in God's household, we show grace to each other. And grace is undergirding our relationships with each other. Well, in our analogy for this evening, we're still getting dressed, and we're almost fully dressed here as we make our way through this text. But we need to add one more layer, one more layer to our Christ wear. And here's what we add. Paul says, above all these things... Put on love, or above all these, love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see what's happening here? You're getting dressed and you're almost put together. Something's missing. You need something to kind of pull the whole outfit together. Am I right? You need something to hold things together, hold it on. And Paul says, I've got the perfect thing for you. It's called the belt of love. Put that on. It'll, it'll tighten everything up and keep it together for you. It's the band that completes the ensemble. Without love, without this kind of love, the rest of the outfit doesn't work. None of the other things you put on are going to work. And without this outfit, nothing will stay on. It won't stay together. It won't fit right. So you need love wrapped around all of this to keep it together. And now we're dressed. We're all dressed up. And you might be thinking, well, now we're all dressed up and nowhere to go, right? No, we're all dressed up with somewhere to go. The question is, what shall we do? Where shall we go? And the answer comes clearly in the text, doesn't it? We go to church. We go to church. We gather with the rest of the family in the body of Christ, to which we were called, Paul says. 
And we do this not with anger and rage, but with peace in our hearts. Not with grumbling and gratitude, but with peace in our hearts. And it's not just any kind of peace, and it's not an idle peace, but Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word for rule here means to direct or control or guide. It means to let the peace of Christ, not the petty desires of your flesh, call the shots. Let the peace of Christ settle you down. I want to share something with you. Confession. We know each other well enough so I can share this. This is not unique to me. This happens to a lot of ministers that I know. But Saturday, a lot of ministers I know will talk about how their anxiety levels spike on Saturday. Why? Because Sunday is coming. And their anxiety levels spike and their hearts go crazy and they wonder who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. Is the service going to be okay? Why can't my sermon come together? I need more time and all of these things are going on. And pastors, probably more than even members of a church, forget to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. So you're you're caught in a storm, a raging storm. For some of you, coming to worship... In the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, is a war. It's a battle, right? It's a battle against your own flesh. Calvin says the word for rule here was used among wrestlers. This might help you a little bit because it is a wrestle, right? It's a struggle. So Calvin says, he who has vanquished all the others carries off the prize. When a wrestler wins, he carries off the prize. So Paul would have the peace of God be superior to all carnal emotions, which often hurry us on to contentions, disagreements, quarrels, secret grudges. The peace of God must be a bridle by which our carnal emotions may be restrained. Now, I alluded to the fact that I know that for many people, just gathering on the Lord's Day sometimes is a challenge. It's a struggle. Sometimes we don't want to do it. We don't want to drive across town. We don't want to see other people. We don't want to walk into the door, kneel in prayer, sing an old hymn, sit under preaching, come to the table, or just deal with anyone. Am I right? One person on the back row is like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. But in order for the peace of Christ to rule your heart, you've got to remember the gospel And then you've got to rest in the gospel. The Father chose you in Christ. The Father clothes you in Christ. The Father called you in Christ. It is no accident that you are here. It is no accident that you are a part of His church, that you're in His family. That's not happenstance. The Father wants you. And so you are here because this is where the Father wants you to be. You belong here. You have a place here because of what Christ has done for you. And you may make yourself at home in this family because the Spirit makes His home in you. You belong. And I know sometimes you don't want to be at home. We all go through that. But home is where we need to be. And so you're here, you're all dressed up with somewhere to go, you're wearing Christ, you've got your Sunday best on, you're clothed in Christ and called to His church, you and your siblings come to the body of Christ, 
But why? For what? What are you going to do? Well, you're supposed to eat, drink, and be merry. That's what you do in this household. In this family, there's a sense of grace and there's a sense of joy and peace and love. All of these things decorate the household of God. And we come together to eat, drink, and be merry. I know that because Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's where we get our food and drink is through the Word of God read to us, the Word of God preached to us, the Word of God recited by us, the Word of God consumed by us at the table. It's the Word of God invisible and the Word of God visible that must dwell in us richly. And the word for dwell here is beautiful. It talks about inhabiting, inhabiting someone. Let the Word of God move into your life and make its home in you. Give it permanent residency. Don't let the Word of God just be a fly-by-night guest in your life. How does the Word of God come in to inhabit you, to indwell you, to live in you? What gets into you by means of teaching. By means of counseling, by means of being together in community. Notice again the one another in all wisdom. It's one another. It's not just one pastor preaching to another group of people. Also, the congregation and members of the family take the word of God and speak it to one another. And this happens, by the way, in our Sunday schools. Don't live below your privilege. A lot of good things happen there. This happens, by the way, in our missional communities, which requires an additional sacrifice of your time, but so worth the sacrifice to be with God's people during the week. This happens in the hearing of the preached word and the read scriptures. It happens in conversations as we counsel one another and encourage each other in the things of God. How is the Word of God going to dwell in you richly if you're not exposed to the Word of God and putting yourself within the realm of of God's Word? You've got to be in there, right? So God has laid before you a banquet feast of His Word. It's up to you to eat and drink and make merry with that Word. There's something else that's going on here. As a part of being merry, I want to highlight this Uh, much disputed, much debated phrase, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with grace in your hearts to God. Calvin rightly explains that a psalm is that in the singing of which some musical instrument besides the tongue is made use of. A hymn is properly a song of praise, whether it be sung simply with the voice or otherwise. And while spiritual songs, or odes as he calls them, contain no, uh, not merely praises, but exhortations and other matters, he would have the songs of Christians to be spiritual, not made up of frivolities and worthless trifles. I really only shared that quote with you to say those last few words. Frivolities and worthless trifles. Those are the kinds of things that we hear in, in contemporary Christianity today, unfortunately. But really what's going on here is Paul is saying, look, God has given you a variety of, of music to enjoy. 
You have psalms that come from the book of psalms in the Old Testament. And little by little, we're learning to sing a few of those. And some of our sister churches do a great job of just singing the psalms. But we're also free to sing hymns like the ones that we typically use here. Hymns that are written and convey to us the truths of our faith and we're able to sing them to each other and to the Lord. And then you have spiritual songs, and in the Greek they're called odes. Lyrical poems, spoken word, maybe something like rap or hip-hop to give you an idea of what it might sound like. But it's the idea that God has given us all of these resources to use. And we're to convey His Word that's richly put into us. We convey it back to Him. But notice here, undergirding all of this, is we do it with thankfulness. Another way to say it is we do it with grace or gratitude in our hearts to God. And that means we must worship God without holding grudges, without grumbling, but do so with gratitude and grace in our hearts. It's so easy for us to forget the tremendous privileges we have just in gathering in a place like this, at a time like this, with the comforts and securities that we have, when so many people around the world are hiding because of their faith and not able to enjoy the privileges and comforts that we do. Let us not live below our privileges or forget the, the graces that God has lavished upon us. Well, final thing here. We're all dressed up. We've gone to church. We have been a part of worship. Eat, drink, and we're merry. And now what do we do? Worship is over. Where do we go? How do we live? And Paul gives us some idea here. Verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I want to put it like this. That we've gotten dressed and gone to church and finally now we get to go out in the world on mission still clothed in Jesus Christ. Notice this catchphrase, whatever you do, whatever you do, you're changing diapers, you're taking out the trash, you're driving down the interstate, you're walking the halls of your work, you're at the water cooler, you're counseling a kid, you're mowing your lawn, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not some kind of magic spell that you're to cast. In the name of Jesus, I'm driving down Highway 80. In the name of Jesus, I'm at the water cooler drinking water. That's not what he means. He means that you're doing it as a representative of Jesus Christ. You're clothed in Christ, you represent him. That's who you're wearing. You're on mission. The family of God is a missionary family. We're a missionary family. And we live in a world, even in this corner of the world, where people don't know Christ. This past week, I was counseling with some friends that I met at Starbucks earlier, uh, early last year. But as our relationship and friendship have, has developed... Uh, they began to ask me to help them with some things. And so I've been meeting with them for marriage counseling. And one of the side conversations we had, the husband told me a story about how he, when he was a child, when he was a young kid, he looked up to his big brother. And he liked to wear his big brother's shirts, even though the shirts were way too big for him. 
And he said that on a cold morning, he loved to put on his big brother's shirt and then go into the bathroom and stand in front of the wall heater that they had in the bathroom because he loved to feel the warm air from the heater blowing up through that shirt. And he would look down and the shirt would expand and fill with that hot air and it made him feel bigger and stronger. It made him feel like his brother. And it made him feel connected to his brother. And I love that he shared that story with me. Especially when I was able to think about what's happening in Colossians 3. And what are we told to do? Put on the shirt of your big brother Jesus. It's too big for you. I know it doesn't feel like it fits. I know you feel awkward in it sometimes. But when the Holy Spirit blows through that shirt and fills it up, and the virtues of Christ attached to your life, and you see compassion and humility and meekness and tolerance. You see the virtues of Christ showing up in your life. How do you feel? You feel different about yourself, don't you? You feel better about yourself because you realize now, I'm a man in Christ. I'm a woman in Christ. I'm a child in Christ. I feel bigger. I feel stronger. I feel better. I feel connected to my big brother. I can identify with him in ways that I didn't before. Do you realize by now that all of this has been to say this one thing, that you, as a son or daughter adopted into the family of God, must find your identity in Jesus Christ alone. That's where you find your self-worth, your self-esteem, your value, however you want to describe it. You find it in Christ alone. And so you put on your Christ wear day after day. And you represent the family of God wherever you go. In the best way you can. The shirt's too big, but you'll grow into it. The shirt's too baggy, but someday you're going to fill it out. Because God's going to see you through. The Father's going to make sure you grow. The Spirit's going to make sure you grow. Christ is going to make sure you grow. The Father's the one who commands us to put on Christ day after day from the inside out. And why does He do this? Because His ultimate purpose and ultimate goal for your life is that you may be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. He's not trying to make you a better Presbyterian, trust me. He's not trying to make you a better Baptist, if that's your thing either. He's trying to make you like His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you go through this passage again in your own time, you'll see embedded in the passage, grace upon grace. There's grace everywhere from start to finish, from the grace of forgiveness, which is built into the word forgiveness, to the grace of thanksgiving, which is also built into thanksgiving. This is a household, a family that is built on grace. Let us do everything we can to show grace to each other because we need it. Let's do everything we can to show love to each other because we need it. This is what our Father has called us to do. You're in the same family because you're all in Christ and Christ is all and Christ is in you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father who sets the lonely in families, We commend to your continual care the homes in which your people dwell. Put far from us, we ask you, every root of bitterness, 
the desire of vainglory and the pride of life. Fill us with faith, virtue, knowledge, humility, meekness, patience, tolerance, forgiveness. Knit together in constant affection those who in holy marriage have been made one flesh. Turn the hearts of parents to their children. Turn the hearts of children to their parents. And turn our hearts to Father in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so kindle fervent love among us all that we may evermore be kind and affectionate to one another. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.